Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, how are you? I am doing well. I'm hot and tired. I mean, I think I've used the podcast to provide some updates on my living situation the last couple of times, but I do did find a new apartment and I'm in the middle of moving. So oh. if, I, my, if I sound a little tired, it is because of that. Yes. Yeah, so if anybody, listeners, if anybody wants to help David move, I'm sure he can put your hands to use <laughs> moving boxes and things like that. Just email him and uh, ask. Yeah. Just kidding, David. I'm not going to have your inbox full of people trying to help you move. <laughs> um, you have a guest on the show today. Who'd you bring on? We have with us Julie Whalen, who's the global head of Occupier Thought Leadership with CBRE. Uh, hi, Julie. How are you? Hi, David. Great. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I am not moving, nor would I want to be moving in the middle of summer. So well, you're luck. lucky. Thank you. Um, so before we jump into hear what we're talking about, if you want to just take a second to tell, well, I, I gave your title and, and, and whatnot, but if you want to just take a second to talk about what you do and, and some of the highlights of, of your work at CBRE, that would be great. Sure. So as you said, I'm the global head of Occupier Thought Leadership at CBRE. And some people sit and scratch their heads and think, well, what is that? And I did too when I first took the job seven years ago. And really what I do every day is try to make sure that I understand what is making tenants uh, drive their behaviors. You know, what are the things that are changing in the marketplace and in society and in the way that we work that is causing tenant behavior to be different than it was in the past? Um, and that is not something that we can do by looking at, you know, real estate fundamentals and driving conclusions off of that. We have to really pay attention by talking to our clients and by surveying our clients and by understanding how they're operating. And uh, we have successfully done that. And I would say that over the last couple of years, that job has been ever more important as all the trends that we're seeing have accelerated um, and trying to predict what is around the corner has become more important than ever. Yeah, so that's a great transition to what I wanted to pick your brain on here, which is obviously ever since early 2020, the question about what is the future of office has been hanging over uh, commercial real estate. And it seems like the answer has changed or, you know, there's been a lot of uncertainty. There's been a lot of speculation. There's been a lot of experimentation and, but you've had the opportunity to, to, to do some of this hard research and talk to, like you said, your clients and the occupiers and get a real handle on, on where we're at. So that's what I kind of, you know, wanted to talk about is just, you know, so here we are July, 20. 22 for a lot of us we're two and a half years into either working full or part-time remotely corporations are you know still trying to figure out their occupation strategy you know their strategies around office leasing so where what are some of the main highlights of the most recent findings that you've had in this area 
Sure. So as I said, our efforts really ramped up across the pandemic, and we've done four occupier sentiment surveys throughout the last two and a half years, with the last one being in the spring of 2022. And we did them across the world, um, but I am most intimately involved with our one in the United States, uh, which I can talk most freely about. And I would say that what we are finding is just how similar employee and employer sentiment is since the beginning of the pandemic around the future of work. And what I mean by that is that we know the future of work is going to be different um, than it was before the pandemic. And I think a lot of people at the beginning thought that it was going to be super different and then maybe came back on their thoughts a little bit and thought, no, things are going to revert back to the same. And now two and a half years in, they understand that, yes, things are going to be different. And what we're seeing today is that the return to office is quite slow at the moment. Um, I would say that considering the rest of life around restaurants and airline travel Mm -hmm. and general living life is kind of back to normal, unfortunately, return to office is not. And that's not surprising based on the results that we have seen in our survey, where a lot of companies told us, yes, our offices are open. We are welcoming people back. However, they are not really requiring a return yet. There are, of course, a lot of companies that we hear about in the headlines that are, but the vast majority of them are actually still allowing employees to make decisions based on their own discretion. And I think that's where the challenge lies right now, is that you don't have employees that are arriving at a conclusion to come into the office on a regular basis on their own. And then you have employers that are not necessarily pushing that agenda for fear of making their employee unhappy and of losing that employee in such a tight labor market. And so that is, I think, where we're at right now is this idea that organizations do want their employees to come back on a little bit more of a regular basis than they're seeing today. However, employees are not sure exactly how to do that or if that works for them. And does that vary by uh, market in the U.S.? Is it a pretty consistent story for for cities and suburb for CBD and, and suburban offices? Is it consistent for? Is it the same in New York as you know some or as markets in Texas? Yeah, so our survey results do not allow us to get to that level. However, we do obviously have offices all around the country and we do pay attention to the data um, of physical occupancy that a lot of other people are paying attention to. And it's clear that there are absolutely differences from market to market. You know, your coastal cities that are your large, dense urban cities um, have traditionally over the pandemic and and especially during this return to office period struggled um, to get even back to national averages where you see other markets like Texas and Florida markets that have um, really come back quite quickly uh, comparatively to the other markets. And the question really is, well, why is that? And there is a lot of different reasoning. And I don't think that there's anything that is completely conclusive based on data Um, But there are arguments that, you know, commute time, which Mm -hmm. we pretty much know is the number one factor of Mm -hmm. employees not really wanting to engage with that return to office on such a regular basis, especially those that have commutes that are longer than, you know, 30 minutes, um, because there's a trade off of value and time that they have to make in that. 
Um, there's other speculation of, you know, weather and markets and, and just easier to, to get around in certain times. Other speculation around new business formation and the fact that the more new business formation that there is and the more that people need to come together because they haven't been together on a historical basis as much as maybe some of these more legacy markets are. So there's a lot of different speculation out there, um, but it is definitely true that some of the secondary markets, especially the ones um, in Texas and in Florida have seen a quicker return to office. And I think that there are a lot of different reasons that we can point to as to why that is. Yeah. I mean, I could just speak from a personal basis that the bit, my biggest obstacle is the, is a, the commute and just even from Brooklyn to Midtown, which doesn't sound that far. It's like for, it's like 45 minute, at least subway ride on a good day. And the subway often doesn't have good days. So there's delays and whatnot. So that's a concern. The other th thing that what my company did was during the pandemic was slightly give up some space. So now there are, and then also in the process, we lost all of our permanent desks. So it's a complete hot desking environment. So even when I do go in, even if I'm if, even if I'm going to go in two days in a row, I have to bring all of my cords and my laptop and everything back and forth. And so, just and and like if, if it's a day that I need to do a podcast, that means carrying the podcast mic and the headphones and all that stuff. And it's just that's kind of a hassle. So it's just like I feel like it hasn't been set like in this my very very personal example. It's the commute and also the that I feel like the the way my company has done it has not actually facilitated. Uh, a way to come into the office multiple days a week without it being this, you know, having to schlep a lot of stuff back and forth. Yeah. And I think that your personal story can be played out many times. I yesterday commuted into Boston. I live in a suburb of Boston and there's a train in my town and I got on the train and I ran into uh, a friend of mine and I said, Oh, you know, how often do you go in? And he said, Oh, we go in about one week a month on to have these sort of team meetings four days in a row, one week a month. And I thought, Oh, that's really interesting. And he explained this a similar situation to you, which is that it there feels like there's a lot of friction for him when he goes in because sometimes he feels that there's not even enough space for him to efficiently and productively operate in that office. And I think that that idea of friction is one that companies have to understand and have to smooth out because we talked even before the pandemic of creating frictionless experiences, pleasant experiences for employees that make them want to come into the office, that magnetize them to the office versus having us to push you know, people back to the office forcefully. And I think that companies now more than ever have to understand that. And some pulled the envelope back a lot. And they said, during the pandemic, we don't have need for all this space. We're going to put space on the sublease market. We're going to contract. And I think in some cases that pendulum swung too far. Mm -hmm. And now they're realizing that they actually need to provide better space for their employees, which is what we're seeing in a lot of markets right now, which is this flight to quality. This idea that organizations still see the office is a very important piece of their company culture. They want to draw people back to the office and they want to do that by providing the best spaces. Now, you also mentioned something interesting about just these podcasts and the equipment that goes with it. What we're seeing is actually some landlords even create amenity spaces in their buildings that are very tech enabled for things like 
very high quality Zoom rooms or tech enabled spaces where people can hold podcasts and, and record things like this that are becoming more popular. So I think that there's a lot of changes to the office environment that are just at the tip of the sphere right now mm-hmm. uh, that we are going to see uh, in order to provide employees and employers these more frictionless experiences. And you said that's something that you're seeing landlords doing, not even just like a tenant in their own space, but like as a as an amenity to an office. That's something that a landlords uh, landlords are trying to provide. Absolutely, because tenants are trying to be as efficient as possible with their space needs, um, while still providing very high quality space. And so what we're seeing in this trend towards flight to quality is a difference in what quality means. I think that you know, ten years ago, quality meant a really good lobby. Um, that you wanted to bring clients into that maybe had a nice coffee shop and a gym on the ground floor um, and just generally, you know, a, a high quality space. And now what we're finding is that the amenities that make a high quality space are very different. Um, things like tech enabled spaces, uh, private spaces for people to have meetings outside of their leased space. Um, amenity floors that might have shared meeting space or even food services in it. Lots of different things that create a much more operational journey for the landlord that owns that building. Um, however, makes the tenants stickier that ultimately end up in that building. And from the, the Occupy, in terms of talking to the tenants, have you seen, if you, even if you can't name specific examples of like company names or whatever, but, but, but just examples of companies that have been particularly creative about what they're doing to create the stickiness? In terms of landlords or in terms of employers? In, ter- in terms of employers, like, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, like that, that's from the landlord basis, but I'm still interested also from like the occupier basis, if if there are things that specific companies may be doing that's that's more successful than uh, than what others are doing. Yeah, I mean, I can talk about us, you know, as CBRE, we are mm-hmm. a real estate company and we like to make sure that the advice that we're giving to our clients and the services that we can provide them, we actually utilize and find value in ourselves. And we, for many years now, uh, well over a decade, have been building Workplace 360 environments is what we call them. And they are environments that... Uh, you know, our employees can come into and feel good in and be productive in. And they are very different from the old legacy assigned seating environments that were mostly made up of cubes and offices. Um, I will say that every iteration that has been done over the last decade plus has gotten better and better because the idea is that you listen to your employees, you listen to their needs, you pay attention to what works and what doesn't work, and you iterate for your next you know, journey. And I recently was in London, where I went to one of our most recent Workplace 360 environments in London that was built out at Henrietta House that is probably, I would argue, is the nicest environment that we have. And it was completely energizing to be in. And if I were in that market regularly, I would be magnetized to go into that office, even despite a commute. It was a healthy office environment. It had comfortable furnishings in it. It had great healthy food options. It had wellness features. It had multiple areas to sit, depending on the type of work that I was doing and the type of meeting that I was holding. And it was certainly the type of environment that I foresee that a lot of organizations are going to move towards. However, it does take capital. It does take certainty Mm -hmm. of what you need around space. 
And it does take, in a lot of cases, at least catalyst activity so that organizations can actually justify, you know, making a big move like that. From a a government level, you know, like in cities like, you know, like places like New York City, there's been more talk of trying to do things to revitalize CBD, you know, like things that can be done to the neighborhood itself, not just to the, to the building. How important is that of a factor, do you think, for, for some of this process? Do, do, do places, do governments need to take a role in, or economic development agencies in revisiting CBDs to make them um, more desirable for people to come back to? Absolutely. I mean, we have talked for a long time about live, work, play environments, and we are even more uh, solid on the idea of those now post-pandemic because people don't want to endure long commutes. They want to live in the same areas that they work in and in the same areas that provide entertainment for them. And those are areas of cities that we, even before the pandemic, saw performing better, whether they were in the urban core or even on the outskirts of the urban core. Um, And conversely, you could have the best building in a suburban office park with absolutely nothing around it. And it's not going to perform well because it doesn't have the ecosystem around it that is really needed to make tenants happy. So I think that there is a lot of room for improvement um, in our uh, cities and especially in our older cities that government agencies can form public-private partnerships that really help move things in the right direction because the core is there. You know, New York City has everything that it needs. It has the infrastructure. It has the talent. It has the arts and entertainment. It has the, you know, the, the ground zero of all the businesses that it needs. And it will continue to thrive as a result of that. And I have no doubt that the appropriate partnerships will be put in place to continue to grow these many neighborhoods that really appeal to a population that wants to live there and a business base that wants to, you know, create a, a home base there. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, you know, I know that the, you alluded to there being a number of concerns that, you know, employee, employees might have, um, and but for me it really like you know i don't buy as much like if that people are still you know health and safety as much are concerned because like our restaurants in new york city are bustling so it's like people will come into the city when you know to do that to do all sorts of things you know like we, you know myself included will go into manhattan to do all sorts of things but it's really a bit like the office it's just like it's just become like, unless I have to go, basically, like, it's just easier not to go and, it, and get everything done from, from home. Right, right. And how long have you been with your company? I've been, so that's a complicated question because my company has been bought and sold so many times. So it's like, I've, I've been in the same job for like 18 years, but my company has changed names like six times. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But that's really important, right? Because you are embedded yeah. in your company and you're embedded in the culture of your company and you're embedded in the people that you've worked with throughout the years. Right. However, if you turn that and you look at new employees, mm-hmm. kids coming out of college, interns that I have frequently been talking to that desire having a place to go to start to build their career in, it is a very different story for them. I am not of the belief that people want to come in five days a week, no matter how young or old you are. I know that flexibility is important. We wrote about that again. I sound like a broken record before the pandemic. 
However, there is still a need for people to come in and there's a desire, especially for people at different life stages and at different tenures in their company to, to have to come in also. Yeah, I feel like that that is one of the most compelling arguments for when, like, you know, if you are going to have an ebb and flow around, but like one of the most important times where you could be making a priority for getting people into the office a lot is like if you're onboarding a person or a team, like just, and however long that period is, you know, and then maybe scaling back a bit, but like just having that initial period where everyone is in the office together for a while and, and you bring the new person on board, you get them incorporated into the team, you get people used to it, and then you figure out a better cadence later. But like, that does seem like a, an important time to like make a real emphasis or, or like, let's set some regularity. Let's, let's all get together. Let's, let's build that chemistry and then maybe like, you know, figure out what our, what our flow is after that. It's very true. And you hit on a couple important points there. It, one of them is that d- deliberate interactions are really important. A lot of people have talked about how important the office is to have serendipitous interactions in, mm-hmm. which means that you run into people. However, to, to, to create those serendipitous interactions, you need to have somebody in the organization that is deliberately bringing people together. And that's where management roles are more important than ever right now. And I think that some companies are missing the mark and actually not creating the training that employ- that managers need to actually have the tools to do that and to understand when and why to do that. And also, I think that this idea of things can change, which is what you just you know talked about. I, I sometimes refer to hybrid work as ice cream, right? At the base of ice cream is milk, cream, and sugar. At the base of hybrid work is work from home, work in the office, and work in a third place. However, the magic to ice cream comes when you bring in all the good ingredients that people like. And the magic of hybrid is when you create a combination of things that works for the employers that are there. And what you might like at one stage might be different to what you like in another stage. And you have to be fluid enough to be able to change as those needs change. But what is at the core of that is a very strong manager who can help those deliberate interactions take place. Um, so how often you said that you've done this occupier survey four times since, since the start of COVID. Is that right? I think we have. Yes. We've done them every year since 2016. And what was interesting is that in 2019, we didn't do it. And the reason that we didn't do it is because I was so sick of getting the same answers. I was like, I know what what (laughs) occupiers are going to say, and I don't want to hear about it again this year. I'm going to use my efforts to do something else. And then the pandemic hit and we thought, ah, now things are different. This is the time to do it again. And so we did a couple that first year and then we've done one um, every year since. So a couple in 2020, one in 2021 and one in 2022. And I imagine among those four, they have not been the same, right? I mean, I imagine there's been some changes just to, I would guess, just because like, I feel like the broader conversation around offices has not, I don't think it's been exactly the same for those two years. There was talk of like hub, hub and spoke model or hybrid or like three, three and two, I think buzzwords that were tossed around at different times um, that are, that, that I'm not hearing as much now. Yeah. Well, I would say that some things that have been, there are some things that have been incredibly similar. Um, and that is just the desire 
for hybrid work, right? This we would ask time and time again, do you want to be office? Do you want to be hybrid? Do you want to be remote first? And 80% plus every single survey is hybrid, hybrid, hybrid. So okay. we know that that's the future. Now, what hybrid means to everybody is going to be something completely different. We will never get to that in a survey, but we know that hybrid is the way forward. The things that have changed, I would say, is um, number one, the amount of time that organizations want people to spend in the office. In the U.S., 80% plus of our respondents say that they want people to be in the office at least half the time, if not more. Mm -hmm. However, over the four surveys that we've given, that if not more has receded. So more and more companies mm -hmm. are saying, we understand it's probably going to be a 50-50 split, even if we used to want them to be in more than half the time. So that's one thing that's changed. Now, interestingly though, what else has changed is the idea of what organizations need from their real estate portfolio, from their actual physical footprint. There were a lot of times during the pandemic when we surveyed that the answer that we got back was we're doing nothing. We're sitting back, we're kicking the mm -hmm. can down the road. We have mm -hmm. no idea what we have to do. So if our hand is forced, we're doing short-term renewals. That is now very different. However, there is, I think, a prevailing sentiment out there that what that means is that a lot of organizations are contracting. And that is true. There are a number of respondents that say we're pulling back on our space needs. But by the way, a lot of organizations, especially financial services and legal, were doing that before the pandemic anyway. Mm -hmm. There's also a large preponderance of, of respondents that are saying we're expanding. And the reason that they're expanding is because they anticipate business growth. Now, we're obviously on the precipice of change where we are in an uncertain economic environment right now. And those survey results may seem different now than they even were in the spring. However, in the spring, that is what our respondents were telling us is that we are ready to move on our portfolio strategy. And yes, there is some contraction that comes with that. But on the other side, there is also many companies that are still in expansion mode. I've, I've taken a good chunk of your time here. Um, before we wrap up, I'll just you know give you a chance if there's anything that I didn't ask you about about from from any of this research that you think would be good takeaways. Just give you a chance to 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 address that. I would just say that you know if I haven't made it clear, I think that the office is still a really important piece of company culture. However, as you have clearly laid out by your experience and as how I see every day when I talk to both employees and employers that the type of office really matters. Mm -hmm. And so it can be difficult and it can be onerous to change office space. However, now is more important than ever to create a space that employees really want to be in, in order to change this paradigm that we are in right now of employees feeling friction with the office. And where can folks go to read these studies? If they go to cbre.com, we have a research and insights page that has been newly unveiled over the last year uh, that has a regular update of all of our insights and research from me and many others of my colleagues. Perfect. All right. Well, Julie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and let me you know, throw a bunch of questions at you. Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure. This has been fantastic. I, I love the content. So much to think about and so many things have changed over the last few years, but it still seemed very, very positive. So I appreciate that. So 
uh, Julie, thank you so much for being on the show. Of course, David, thank you for facilitating this and bringing her on the show. And our last thank you goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Commentary Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask you to share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this will help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.